Welcome to the Arise podcast with Danielle Castillejo and Maggie Hemphill. Conversations around faith, race, justice, gender, and the church. Hey, Maggie, what's up? Um, Tonight we are still social distancing, but we have an amazing guest with us tonight, and her name is Susan Cunningham. She's a therapist, a poet, a counselor, a life and soul coach, spiritual direction, and really she's about soul care. And Susan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, I think we only knew each, I, I saw you at the Allender Center read one of your poems and then we kind of like passed in passing, but I, I don't know if we met while I was there or not. But then Becky said, hey, you really need to meet Susan. You guys need to get connected. And I was just like, yeah, that would be an honor. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Becky talked to me too, and she's like, "You've got to meet my meet my friends Danielle and Maggie." And I was like, "Yes," but usually, like, what are the odds of that? You know, when people say that, they say it all the time, and you know, life goes on, and everyone gets busy. But you were so great to be like right on it, and I responded. And it was probably it's probably the season that we're in. Like, we have a little more space to. I'm actually answering more emails than I ever have before, and so it just feels great that this is happening. Yeah, I guess we're just kind of checking in with our guests, like, where are you at in the world? How's COVID affected you? Like, what what rhythms of life are you practicing right now? Yeah. It's a really um, kind of just shifted to is I do a lot of travel. And so when everything with COVID happened, like, all my trips got canceled. And so and a lot of travel but all the travel was canceled so then it was like I guess I'm just going online online so in a way I just shifted some things so my actual work didn't change um everybody was talking about oh we have so much free time we don't know what to do and I actually not having much free time at all and that was really weird. Um, but there have been a few silver linings, but mostly it's just been very dis- just disjointed and fragmented. I just, you know, every day is the same, but also different and trying to get information and not knowing. And family, both is living. So that so close and so far members my kids are like in different place and I are here but it it was just it's just so odd and I'm feeling that as well um yeah sometimes it just there's no good word for expressing what we're feeling right and sometimes we don't have words we we you know look to art and and other places that can give meaning and um an expression to what we're feeling. And so one of the things that you do is, is you write poetry and you use that in your practice and for healing. Talk to us a little bit about um, about how you've used poetry for yourself. Yeah, I really, I, um, poetry, the thing that is um, amazing about it is that it provides a form of expression with images and sounds. Mm. 
words and senses that can kind of express what is sometimes unexpressible. Or somebody can say in a couple of lines, just maybe what you were feeling, but didn't really even know. It touches someplace kind of deep inside because it's working, it's, it's working off a different side of the brain a lot of times. And so people do turn to poetry as they turn, like you said, they turn to art in times of crisis, in times of protest, in times of pain. Uh, and it helps us not be so alone. So a lot of times I um, will offer to to a client, I'll say, you know, I don't know if you'd be open to it, but I have a poem or two I'd like to share with you. Um, because some people are intimidated by poetry. They're afraid like, oh, I'm not going to understand it. Or yeah, I had that when I was in school and that, that never worked for me. But, you know, when you, when you have someone, and people have done this for me, like they pick a poem for you and give it to you, it's like a gift. A lot of times that's what I'll do. It's like, I'll get a poem and I'll set it aside for a particular person, their particular name. Like this is, this is for you for this time. And um, it can be very personal and very meaningful. Yeah. I just think about um, Annie Rogers, how she, she talks about poetry kind of as the entrance to what, basically what you're saying, the unsayable. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I heard you describe it because it's like so layered. It can have yeah. so many meanings without saying things that are, you know, maybe more jarring. Yes. Yes. And it, and when they, when they come in, like Emily Dickinson had a, has a great line in one of her poems and, and she talks about saying it slant. And that means like when you come in and say something through the front door, or hit someone over the head with it, a lot of times it's just, it just doesn't go through. It doesn't, it doesn't land. But if you say something kind of on the slant or through the back door, which is what we do in counseling a lot anyway, is like if you go in direct, you're not going to get a good response. But if you come in on the side, there's a little, there's, you can find a little space for that. And that's what poetry does. I think it comes into the soul on the side where you maybe are a little less defended and brings some real goodness and some, um, I think it, it brings us to our humanity in a, in a really powerful and good way. Yeah, I love how you uh, spoke to its individualization, like if, as a gift for somebody, and that also as we read it, someone will receive it differently. Um, I hadn't heard what that Emily Dickinson thing, but that's so true about poetry coming at this land instead of head on. And so it causes the, the reader the, to think about it in a new way and then also to apply it to themselves. Um, I would love it if you would share one of your poems. You wrote two poems for tonight. And um, I, what I love about us sharing uh, your poems tonight is that I think people are, like you said, feel intimidated by poems. And so it'd be fun to kind of hear one and then unpack it here. Um, so yeah, if you want to read one of the ones that you brought, we'd love to, to hear it. Okay. Um, I will read this one. And um I can just set it up a little bit to say that um, one of the things that's been a little bit um, disruptive to me in the last six months is my husband and I moved. And we moved back to um, a place where I grew up as a, as a like middle schooler and on. And um, to, be, to be back there, and this was like six months ago before COVID, 
And now I just think, oh my gosh, how odd that now I'm in this childhood home during COVID. But um, so I'm in um, in a place um, that I didn't really plan to be and kind of and surprise. And so this poem um, talks a little bit about the place that I am and what I see and how I'm having to contend with what I see outside with um, what is happening in the world with COVID, which you can't see. You can see the effects of COVID, but you can't see the actual virus, I guess, unless you're in a lab or unless you're... So anyway, this is called A Few Questions for Grandpa's Vineyard, Fresno, California. To the pinhead berries clustered on grapevines, Paul planted 70 years ago by my back door. How dare you? To those curly cue tendrils reaching magnetically toward light, exhaling, wrapping around climber and branch. Are you listening? About tiny leaves making their way from those tendrils, reaching larger leaves, touching with insistence. Why are you emerging? Do you dare bring forth fruit into this burdened world full of sickness, death, poverty, the undoing of everything? What do you know about change? How do you grow sweetness confidently in the breeze, disobedient, so near to one another? Against this cloudless cerulean, spring's new vines are still alive. Bright green sprouting from rough wood while 24-hour news rhythms go on. I see freshness, another mystifying cycle showing buried secrets to air, soil, sun, to the water dripping down ancient stumps. to the water dripping down ancient stumps. You know, one of um, my friends uh, who I write poetry with, she asked me, she said, during this time of COVID, we have this dynamic going on but it's also spring and outside when we're looking at the plants, there, there, there's this phenomenon that they're secure enough to open. And so that juxtaposition between fear and clothing and security or safe enough to open at play. And I think that's one of the things that is so amazing right now because people are saying we've never had a more beautiful spring and here we are in the midst of this trauma of COVID and how do we reckon this beauty of spring with this horror of you know destruction sickness fear so that's when I was saying to the vines, like, how dare you go on? But also asking them, well, how dare you? Like, how do you dare to go on? 
you know, and also looking at the, like, I lived on this vineyard, like I said, when I was in middle school and high school, and I was not that interested. And so when I look now and I look at how teeny tiny the berries are that will be grapes one day, they are so small. And I just went out one day and I was just staring at them. Like, how are you so small? And an actual grape um, and that whole process. So that's what this, um, this poem kind of engaged my visually looking at what was happening in the in the actual vine with all this that's happening in the news and in the world. Yeah, I really like how how much naming there is in there. Like you talked about how there is this strange juxtaposition. And I think maybe some people I mean, I think that it's easy to be unaware that these two things are happening simultaneously um, because it's hard to feel those things at the same time. There's that like ambivalence, like you're feeling two competing emotions at the same time, but you're right. This has been the most beautiful spring. It's been so warm and yet inside it has felt so dark. Um, at a sort of a new home and I'm still like learning all the plants here, but I, was out in the garden today and I was cutting some flowers and I was like, this is amazing. And if I had just stayed inside, cause you know, my kids are doing online school and um, I would have missed it. I would have missed it, but it was so contrary the the budding, the beauty, uh, the warmth of outside compared to how I was actually feeling. And so I love how this poem is, is, is really naming that ambivalence. There's two, two things happening right now I love it it's really yeah, really yeah. Good. and I'm glad you said that like you know part of maybe why you were not necessarily outside because you might have been outside anyway if there's something about going outside that that opens our heart to like give me something show me something let there be some beauty something that I haven't seen before that can touch me like I'm open I want to see and you know that's by opening up to be willing to see yeah I felt that at the beginning of this I remember thinking my fate one of my favorite all-time flowers are the lilacs is the lilac and so I remember thinking like oh yeah the lilacs are still gonna bloom in March I felt that way and then all of a sudden they were blooming and I thought, well, it just can't end. And, you know, their season feels so short here. I just felt like I needed them to keep blooming. And oddly enough, I have planted various lilac bushes over the years here. And one bloomed super late. So it's still vibrant right now. And the other day I walked out and I was like, oh, I smell you. I smell you. You're here. And... <laughs> I don't know, it, it makes me even feel like crying just to think that it just, it bloomed, I felt like it bloomed late for me. I, I don't know how, I'm sure when we get to heaven, there's, we're going to find out a lot more about nature than we know right now. But I felt, you know, I felt connected to that. 
and just so much frustration with dealing with like kids and trying to get school and just the details of life. But to walk outside and just be able to smell that, it was like, okay. And you know, that is a really good way to ground yourself, like literally the ground, like <laughs> literally the soil your feet are on. And you've been talking about trauma, but that is the way that we even ground ourselves in trauma is through the material world. So for you to smell a lilac or touch it or, you know, just put it, you know, on your, just whatever, like touch it in your hands and hold it. And yes, I, we have some roses too. And I would just like crush the petals and just smell them and just practically want to eat them. It's like anything just to be connected with our senses and with these, these natural good things that say the world is still, there's still goodness in the world. Yeah, I heard uh, uh, someone said to me today, it's like I have scraped knees all the time. And I and I listened and I was like, I wrote it down, scraped knees. And I was like, that is kind of how it feels. It's kind of like I'm walking around with scraped knees. So, you know, bringing comfort to those, you know, rips, yeah. you know, it feels good. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where the hope comes in, in poetry. Because you can say, we do have scraped knees, and such a good metaphor, um, because scraped knees actually hurt. <laughs> like, they, like, they actually hurt. It's not like, you know, on your deathbed kind of hurt, but it's still like a constant low-grade pain. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of low-grade or medium-grade or high-grade, any grade of pain, we need to know that there is hope and there is still beauty. So even with scraped knees, we can find, can we find hope? Um, there are some people and we're tempted to be cynical and say, forget it. It's only scraped knees. There's nothing good. Um, but that's not the whole reality either. Um, and I think holding both is what makes it um, challenging and, and also hopeful and worthwhile. Yeah, I think that's a life lesson to be able to hold both of those things, to hold the joy and the sorrow, the beauty and the brokenness. And the more comfortable we get with holding two things at once, the easier it'll be to connect again. I liked how you talked about grounding, like literally being in the physical ground, using our smell, touch, and sight. Um, because the flowers I were picking that I was picking today, they were roses. And there was something about their silkiness and the petals. It was like, it was like softer and smoother and more delicate than anything, uh, any kind of, you know, Egyptian cotton for your bed. Like it was just <laughs> way beyond anything that can be manufactured. And it was, I wanted to put my full face in it. I wanted yeah. all of it to be on me. <laughs> It's true. It's like this miracle that you like come down to with everything. You're coming down to a petal. And um, I think that's even where sorrow. It's like when you go to a fine jewelry store and they show you the diamonds, they always put it on black velvet, yeah. right? Because when you have that contrast of the darkness 
and you put something beautiful over the darkness, it pops and you, and you see it more. And it's almost like it's more beautiful because it's in that, you know, in that dark, hard, painful place. And that's the, that's the mystery. That's the mystery of poetry and any art, really, truly. Music is like this painting, like plays, all of it. it it's like that haunting beauty that just, it, it touches you even more because it's so painful and beautiful at the same time. What is your process? Like when you were thinking about... Um covid and then also juxtaposing it against the spring and you started to write this poem like what was your process like how does a line come out for you like is it in is well, it just like drop into your mind or well the first thing that came to me um was it was kind of the spring and everything beautiful and i kind of I was kind of mad. I was like, how dare you go on as if everything is great and it's not and you still look beautiful. And then I started to think about, well, how do they dare to come out year after year? And these are my grandfather planted these lines. So this is not like in 70 years, there's been many, many really big tragic things. Like COVID is, Certainly in our lifetime, we haven't seen anything quite like this. But in other generations' lifetime, there have also been other really huge, huge things. Um, and I just sort of, if I wasn't mad, then what else would I be? And then I thought, I would have some questions for these. I would, I would like to sit down with these vines and ask them some questions, and I would actually like to have a conversation. Um, so the questions are a little bit um, kind of in, like engaging, you know, what are the, what would I have, if I did sit down, what would I really want to ask? And, and are they accusations or are they actual questions? I like that actually you started with anger, um, mainly because I think we want to avoid anger uh, society for you know positive family structures because some people receive anger as you know aggressive and, and and all of that but I like that you started there and because it was outside you were already in that state of openness and so because of that it led to the curiosity the questions mm -hmm. and what a cool way to engage being outside um when you're when you're feeling that of sorts you got this you got this mat this anger and 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 so to, to shift from anger to curiosity is really a testament to your openness and your willingness to engage. And I, and I love that. So after you had kind of these asked these questions, what were the next things that you did as you were forming the poem? Well, one of the things I did, and actually one of the things that's very hard for me is um, to be in the material world because I tend to like to be in the abstract. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually, this, this, I wrote this poem over a couple of different days and one of the days I was like okay I'm going to actually go outside and I got in the middle of the vines and I just stood there and, and, I, and I looked and I looked really hard and I stared at the different parts of the berries and the 
little tendrils and the leaves and the the really rough um, stumps. And I just looked at them and I was just trying to like trying to understand them because they're so bizarre. <laughs> really, when you think of like these plants and things, and I also thought honestly, as a Christian, like I'm I'm aware that Jesus talked about vines and branches as a really important um, metaphor and lesson. And I was like, what in the world does that mean to, to abide and to be in a vine? And, and so I was kind of listening on that level to kind of listening to the plant, looking at it, watching it and seeing what it was going to tell me or show me or remind me of. Yeah, I love that picture. I was just thinking of that, like, it, um, just almost like you were witnessing, like you were, you were with. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great word. A lot of times people talk about poetry of witness. It's like when you are with someone or something and you're giving voice to it. Yeah. So did you, did you have words on paper by the time you stood with the vines or did the words come after you stood and witnessed the vines? Um, mostly afterwards because I was, I didn't know what it was going to be. And honestly, the, the thing about th this poem is it kind of surprised me at the end because I, I realized that, um, I was thinking about the 24 news, hour news cycle that just goes on and on and almost, I don't know about you, but like the more I look at it, the less I understand. Like it's, <laughs> it's just like, it's not like the more you listen, like the more you understand and the better you feel <laughs> like the opposite. Um, but I thought, Oh, there's, there are cycles. There are all kinds of cycles in the world. And there's another cycle right here in front of me. And it's the cycle of the season and the growth and the spring. And part of why spring is so beautiful is because it comes after winter. Like these very same vines just weeks ago were completely barren. They looked dead. You, you would think like nothing is growing out of here. Like you would not believe it. It's so stark. It's this kind so then when you see all this new bright green, and the green is just a very bright green. You know, it's that really young green. You're like, wow, how did this come from that? And that surprised me to say, oh, there's something deeper going on here that is going to ground me and help me. And actually these vines do know, like when it says, what do you know about change? Actually, they know quite a bit. And if I pay attention, I can, I can learn these buried secrets. Yeah, actually, now that I, I'm, I've got the words in front of me, I'm actually noticing what you're talking about as far as observing. Like the first, the first two stanzas, especially, you can tell that you are there physically. Like you, you can tell that you are um, have surrounded yourself in this environment. Because all of the descriptions are about the vineyard. And, and, and really, you haven't come out of the vineyard yet to where we are, where there's the fullness of, of, of sickness and death and poverty in the 24-hour news cycle, because that comes at the end. 
but it really was about you going and observing and being present and witnessing, having that openness and those questions to bring it back to where you are now. Like, how do, how is it that what I'm witnessing right now makes sense for what I'm experiencing, you know, in my mind or in the world? So that's just really well done. And I, one of the questions I have looming in my head, you know, Danielle had kind of asked, did you actually have words on the page? When you did start writing the words down, did you do a lot of like moving ideas around or was it like you already had this story, this experience that you just needed to get out and it sort of just flowed out of you like that? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And that's the question that people want to know about poetry. It's kind of like, <laughs> did you just like wake up one day and you just wrote it almost like done? No. Um, I mean, I have had one or two poems like that where it just came out. I was like, you know what? Don't change a word. But no, I worked with this and I have, like I said, I have a couple people in my life who I trust and who know my poetic voice. And I ask them like, what do you think? Like, where are you getting taken out? And like, I, one of the things that I do with the poem is I try and really trim the fat. So that the ideal poem is every single word needs to be there. And, or if it's a pause, every single thing needs to be there and nothing is there that, then nothing is there that shouldn't be there. They're trying to trim the fat all the time or get the right word because sometimes you just need the word right or has the right consonants or, um, you know, like I had a few, like, I'll tell you a little thing. Like, so I had a few words in here. Um, you know, the word like curly cue. So I, I wanted to keep that word because that was just the best descriptive. Who was saying like, she's like, you can be cute in a poem. Like you have a little bit of room to be cute, but you can't overdo it. And so I had a couple of other cute words that I had to take out because like, you can be cute, you know, two times, but not three. <laughs> and then when I would, I, um, I read it over with my son actually. And he's like, mm, I think only one. And I was like, yeah, right. One is good. So like having voices and people say like, no, you know what? That's too cutesy. Take it out. Or that is really clunky. Or I have no idea what that means. Or, or sometimes you put something in a poem and it just like, it's interesting, but it takes you out and you start thinking about something else that's really distracting. And um, so we kind of can like keep it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that your process includes other people. I think I I think that writing is done in community and thinking through even how you witnessed it's like you shared what you witnessed. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, I witnessed this, come be in it with me. What what's your experience of it? And that that's also mm. really powerful. And I think that's where healing comes, right? Yeah. And it's so vulnerable, you know, I mean, to say, well, you read my poem, like, like, you know, and I'm sure all artists feel this in their own way. Or even if you're not an artist, you're just like scribbling and you're in a book and you wrote a poem or you wrote a song or you drew something or you, you know, came up with a little riff or something and you want to share it. 
like art wants to be shared, like art wants to come out. And that's one of the things I am finding with COVID and with my clients and with my friends. Um, we are being more creative than we have been uh, with watercolors. And I, I never was interested in painting, I, but and I don't know why. I just think I'm just like pushed to the brink. I have to do something. <laughs> so, you know, art wants to come out. Creativity wants to come out. Yeah, that's good. It's good to engage those moments. Uh, like you're saying, you would have never tried watercolor before. Um, I am engaging, engaging myself creatively by my daughter. Um, she wants to learn Japanese. She's seven. Um, and I was like, eh, we're kind of already spending a lot of time, like, you know, on the computer for, for school. But then I realized how much she enjoyed, you know, writing the, the letters in the hiragana and katakana alphabet. And I thought, this is art for her. This is actually, it's a, it's a way to engage something that she's not doing online, which is actually physically moving and writing. Uh, so I was like, sure, let's learn Japanese. So that's beautiful. You know, and you don't know how in her life she's going to remember. Remember in 2020 when I wanted to learn Japanese and you said yes? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I'm, I'm wondering what my kids internet. are going to remember from this time, truly, because it's um, pivotal in their childhood. That This will be one of those, it'll be like 9-11. It'll be like uh, everyone knowing where they were when JFK was shot or Martin Luther King Jr. Like, it's it's one of those moments where it, there's going to be before this and after this for them. And another way that I'm trying to engage their creativity is um, through building uh, Legos and blocks because again, it's a physical activity when they've been spending so much time on the computer already, like something that they can physically do. Um, but I, I wonder, are they going to remember playing Legos together for hours? Because that is what they did. Is Heidi going to remember, you know, filling up a page of Japanese characters? Like, I wonder. You know, if you want to um, give them mem even more intense memories, attach smell to it. So as you're doing, because the, the olfactory, the smell is the memory that retains the longest. So as you are doing whatever it is you're doing, throw in essential oils or something that they want to smell. And it will, it's amazing what? how the things that we come, we don't even realize that smell, it takes me back. And I didn't even know, I wasn't even thinking about that. That's cool. I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't realize that about smell having the longest impact. That's cool. I'm gonna figure out how I can incorporate that with our Legos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes more sense too now because we made orange cake yesterday. Well, it's like a kind of like a shortbread, and you have to grate oranges and then squeeze the orange juice. And there was a lot of grating, a lot. <laughs> and um, I was just like, well, let's dump it all in, you know. And it did. It smelled so good, and it tasted so orangey. So I wonder. I wonder if something about that. You know, now that you're talking about baking as an art form, and you know, just using your senses in that way. Yeah, yeah I hadn't thought of that. You know, there's a lot. There's there. Speaking of poetry, there's a lot of poetry about food, and like you were saying, like you could write a poem about the oranges and the grating, and 
it come it would it could come out in the like so the smells like yeah when they come out and there's some poet like I was saying like it's harder for me to access some of these physical things I have to really concentrate there's so many great poets that are just like they're so into their senses and their smells and they they just have all these this language for it um and they can they put it on the page and you're like how am I smelling oranges when I'm reading this <laughs> so will you share your uh, second poem that you brought with us there are no straight lines in nature or sorrow yeah so this um this is a little different um this came out of um really death and I I started it a couple years ago and I, I pulled it out again. I wasn't quite, it didn't, I just wasn't quite done with it yet. And I pulled it out during this time and um, I worked on it. And the imagery is, is really different. It's a little more um, evocative, meaning it's, it's a little more, you get the feel of it when you, the thing about poetry that will, kill the experience is if you have to like understand every single line like what are you talking about what do you mean I don't get that line what did you mean by that if you want to put it under a microscope it will like evaporate <laughs> so with this poem when I read it um, I would just say you can even close your eyes if you want and just let it um, let it kind of roll over you or wash over you and um this is one that might need to be read twice we'll see um because it just there's um there's a lot going on <laughs> okay there are no straight lines in nature or sorrow lord we are a lamentation living like swans in a promise not coming true Flush gone, all mute. I weep and swear to it, though I'm sure some find meaninglessness beyond dispute. I prefer the fathomable. Grant me faith, meaning prayer. Settle us down into water to receive unquiet questions without shushing us, pitching toward the unimaginable by crushing us. Fill our plain mouths with salt underwater colored light. Helps of ballet, deep sprays of mundane, as a sign, Father, you are still fond of us. Feathered spirit, gather us by chance, intervene, lengthen your curved neck as we are sodden, quivering, inelegant, keening, faithless, faith dance. Found the depths of your brokenness, rolling sand ground thus into meaning and well-being, like sea glass submerged, be lost with us, exhausted us. I heard you sink wisdom with understanding beneath the enormous surface of your silence. Yeah, I remember just feeling like there needs to be silence after you read it. Mm. Mm. I don't know. For me, I feel, I feel 
you know, I heard, I heard this a few days ago and then you, you shared this at a seminar we were doing on grief for leaders of color. And then, um, I think you may have des- described it as waves or, but I did, I felt that like, like waves of grief or waves of sadness or waves of pain, but not the kind of wave that drowns you. Yeah, but ways that take you out. I was, I was literally, and she was describing feeling like she was getting just hit by wave after wave of grief that like won't let up. It just keeps coming, and you, you kind of don't know. You, you kind of think you're probably not going to drown, but if you've ever been in an undertow, if you've ever tried to like get out or find your way and you just keep getting things in your mouth and your nose and you can't breathe and you're just trying to just trying to get some air um sometimes grief can can feel that way and which is a lot of times why people don't necessarily want to grieve um and this this is kind of a a prayer that is kind of like the kind of prayer you would pray when you're underneath underwater wondering if you're gonna like how you're gonna come back up and wondering if god is with you down there in the in that really painful place where you just feel like you're getting crushed Yeah, there's definitely a different feel and, and tone. Um, like you said, I could definitely feel different things that were being, that were coming up for me as opposed to the other one, the other uh, poem that you shared today. Um, and I, I sort of like this idea that you said about the waves of grief and then wondering, like, is, am I going to come up from this one? Am I going to come up from this one? There was a line that you said, the sound, sound the depth of your brokenness rolling sand grounds us into meaning and well-being like sea glass submerged be lost with us exhausted us i was like yes i am that right now it is it puts words to express expresses what cannot be expressed otherwise it's really beautiful thanks i I'm glad. I'm glad that um, if if there if there is that connection, then we can be a little less lonely because it's it's hard enough to grieve or lament or or wail in pain and and even in this literal kind of isolation time, but then to feel like I'm alone. And one of the things that I would deal with like probably with almost every single person I see is loneliness. People are really lonely. And even when they're smashed in the house with all these people, they're even more lonely. We're even more lonely. I'm like, we're all lonely. And um, so if you say, oh, I feel that. I think, oh, good. Like maybe you could feel a little less alone. Mm, I love that. 
Yeah, just kind of feel like the loneliness is because I'm one of those people that's smashed in a house with tons of people. <laughs> I think there's something about how maybe particularly for me as a mom that I'm offering so much care and also sh- like trying to be vulnerable but shield my kids. So I'm playing this game where I don't really feel known. And so I think the poem is almost an entrance into that knowing of the weak spaces. And I think for me, the grief in the poem is almost like a rocking sensation. So more like comfort. Mm. So that that's kind of, I as that. I hear it again and again, that's kind of more what I'm coming with. I love that. There is something like, I mean, water is so, I mean, water, like, yeah, you feel crushed by it, but you can also feel really rocked by it too. And so that, that you can find that in there, that, that makes me so happy. That's so, that's really great. Well, Sue, uh, how can our listeners get connected to you? Do you have a website? You also have a practice. Like, tell us how we can get connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have um, a website. It's um, susan-cunningham.com. And that just tells what I do. Um, and my email's there. And, um, you know, people can email me. Um, I, like I said, I, I counsel. I do life and soul coaching I do spiritual direction um and I write poetry and I I coach artists I coach people who are um who are creative and who find um that that's their gifts and their calling and they they want to do that there's some really unique and beautiful souls that need support and I love that And do you write poems with people? Well, you know, I haven't really done that very much, but I mean, I will love the idea. Yeah. I, um, I, there have been times where I have really encouraged, like I um, have like sort of shepherded people in their own creative processes and like given them prompts and different things. And, Sometimes I ask my clients, like, if they're, you know, write a poem, write a song about that, draw something about that as a way to further, like, whatever their, their experiences. But, yeah, I love to, you know, write with people and, uh, yeah, just engage and collaborate and do whatever. Well, awesome. This has been a fantastic conversation and an expression and a pouring out. I love all, every minute. I would love, we always wrap up our conversations by asking our guests three questions. What are you reading right now? What are you listening to right now? And what is inspiring you? Okay. Yeah. Well, right. Um, so I'm, I'm always reading a lot <laughs> of books and I usually like never read them all the way through. I just read parts of them. So um, what I have on my nightstand right now um, is um, one is this poet that I actually saw her right before everything shut down. Her name is Claudia Rankine. 
Rankine, R-A-N-K-I-N-E, and she um, has a book of poetry called Citizen, an American Lyric, and she engages a lot of um, racial injustice in her poetry, and it's incredible, and I got to see her and meet her um, right before everything kind of went down, and this is an, a really powerful and amazing book um, called Citizen. And then um, I'm reading a book by another by an Irish poet. This is prose. It's called In the Shelter, Finding Home in the World. And I'm sort of on this theme of finding home, coming home, you know, based on the move and everything. And he um, he's amazing. His name is Padraig Otuma. And um, I'm enjoying that. And the other night, I just wanted my comfort. And so I pulled out this volume of poetry. And um, it's um, an anthology, and it's called Staying Alive, Real Poems, Unreal Times. And um, they're just amazing poems for the human heart. And there's all different, this math in this volume. So, a lot of poetry happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. So much is unsayable, right? <laughs> Yeah, really how unreal. Do you, how do you describe what you can't talk about, you know? Yeah. Well, we're we're just so honored to have you with us and hopefully we'll connect again in the future. Yes. Um that would be great. Did I answer all the questions that you said? Um listening to oh, and then yeah. what's inspiring mm -hmm. you? Okay, what I'm listening to, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to, of course, Brene Brown, and Padraig Otoma has a podcast. But one thing that I've loved is there's a podcast about Mr. Rogers, and I I have been inspired by Mr. Rogers. Um, I watched <laughs> the Tom Hanks movie, and then I found a few episodes called Finding Fred. Um, that's been really inspiring to me. So, and the way of love, um, Bishop Michael Curry. Like I listen to his podcast, and he's been inspiring. And what was I guess listening and inspiring? Yeah, both of those. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been awesome. Um, a great experience for our listeners, totally different than probably what they use podcasts or probably other podcasts as well. So what a treat. We are uh, so honored and uh, grateful that you. Thank you. It was so much fun talking to you. Thank you for being so open and, and just so much fun to just engage with. I really feel honored. Both. Thank you. Thank you.